0: slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mv bible magic valley bible church built on god's word
1: goodness you have a stepladder back here or something what is this goodness yeah maybe it's not just a high pulpit just a short preacher that's what it is but thank you for that kind uh, uh, introduction. In light of that introduction, I'm sorry for that D that I gave you in Greek. <laughs> Actually, uh, that's not true. I'm not sorry for, for it. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, uh, I remember a senior recital of a young lady named Tiffany Batista that I attended. I also remember saying, "Will you, Tiffany Batista, take this gorilla Nate Uts- uh, take Nate Utsi for your husband?" I had the great honor of uh, uh, marrying uh, them and uh, and seeing them uh, in my Sojourners Fellowship at Grace Community Church, and such a joy to see them. And in all seriousness, we deeply appreciate. Uh, The opportunity to be here. Thank you to the church and to the pastor and the leadership for spending a lot of money this weekend and uh, you know not only for these these books uh, but for flying us up here putting us up in the hotel feeding us just just the sacrificial way in which you've served us so I pray that we will be able to serve you uh, adequately uh, in this message. Now, I've. Uh, in case you're wondering, a couple of people have already asked, would you sign my book? They're already signed. They're already signed. Uh, I did that yesterday. And the reason is, and there's another reason why I won't preach overtime today. We're leaving on an air, uh, leaving on a jet plane. Well, is it a jet plane? I'm not sure. We're leaving uh, and, and I better finish on time, okay? So I uh, didn't want to uh, have to take time to sign those uh, books. They're already signed. Uh, there's a reason for my signing them. You'll get more money when you sell them on eBay if they're <laughs> autographed. And uh, so that's, uh, that's that, okay? Uh, now, I want to mention one more book only because you have it out there, and, uh, and that is uh, my devotional commentary on Psalms Awake, O Harp. We can't give that one away, uh, but uh, it, uh, I might have an uh, opportunity if you get those to sign. Well, I think I've already signed those two, so uh, uh, the Lord has allowed us I write some academic books, to tell you the truth. I write a commentary on the Greek text of Philippians, and I've written a commentary on the Greek text of of James. And my wife, bless her heart, uh, says, Honey, write a book for the rest of us sometime. And, And so this is a book for the rest of us, and this book that I trust will be a blessing to you. Is for the rest of us. Okay. Now, uh, in addition to the wonderful text that you chose, how appropriate Isaiah 9, which speaks about glory and light, two of the themes that we're going to explore today, turn to Matthew chapter 2 as we prepare ourselves for a fresh look at the Magi. A Fresh Look at the Magi. This will not be a brand new text for you. You've uh, heard it read. You've read it many times. And we'll read it again uh, this nativity season. But it's always good to revisit a text. Particularly when we have certain assumptions about the events that it took place. It's good to look at the text again and see whether those assumptions are true or not. And that's why... I call this message A Fresh Look at the Magi. I read now after, notice the word after, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, not wise men, but magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people he was inquiring of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born and they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And of course, this is Micah 5.2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Very interesting. Uh, the great king who would come would shepherd my people Israel. How Appropriate that on that first night there would be shepherds there. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into, watch this, the house, after coming into the house, uh, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. The Lord bless his reading of his word. Now we know all the facts about these guys by the following. We three kings of Orient are. Stop right there. Stop right there. Really? We three kings from the Orient? Be careful that we don't base our interpretation and our beliefs on hymns and nativity songs as good as they might be. Because there are three assumptions in that statement. We three. The text doesn't say there were three. Maybe there were 30. Maybe there were two. We just know that there's more than one, okay? We, okay? Uh, 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 But the text doesn't say there were three. Now, that probably comes from what? The fact that they presented three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So maybe it's a safe assumption, but we don't know for sure. We three, what kings? Does it say that they're kings? Nowhere does it say that they're kings. As a matter of fact, they're called magi. That's that's the word. And it really doesn't mean wise men. Magi were a caste of religious leaders. Uh, We'll see where in the Orient they were from, who uh, were religious uh, people, not Jews, not Jews, but they were not kings, Uh, they were magi. As a matter of fact, we'll see just a little bit later that we could actually call them king makers, but they were not kings. We three kings of Orient. Now, when I think about the Orient, I think of China, I think of Korea, I think of uh, Japan. These were not Japanese magi, okay? Uh, they were from the east that's all it says they were from the east now in Bible terms when you say from the east that means on the other side of the Euphrates River okay uh, on on this side of the Euphrates River would be the west, but the east would be on the other side of the Euphrates River. Now, if you followed uh, our news and uh, our servicemen, you know where the Euphrates River is. That's the area of Iraq, and a little bit beyond that would be Iran. Now, that would be ancient what? Babylon and Persia. Ancient Iran would be... Persia. So they were probably from Persia. Uh, of course, that went back and forth. The Persians were conquered by the Babylonians, and the Magi continued even after the Persians' kingdom was gone. So they were from on the other side of the Euphrates in the area that we know today as Iraq or Iran. Okay, wow. There's a lot of... I have a chapter in here called The Mythology of the Magi. Let's continue on those myths. Because uh, some of them are simply pure myths, and uh, some of them are 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 wrong, all right? So uh, let's look at this, a mythology of the Magi. I'm not asking you to turn, but uh, the first myth is that there were three in number. The second myth is that they were kings. The third is that they were from the Orient, that from the uh, Far East. Now, we even know these guys' names. Their names were Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Really? Where's that in Matthew chapter 2? We don't know that. That's a tradition. For all I know, they were named Manny, Mo, and Jack. Yeah, You know, I don't know, but, uh, you know, where I, this all dates from the Middle Ages, all right? Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. The myths continue with myth number five. One of them was a black man. Now, I don't know. For all I know, all three of them could have been black men, uh, you know, uh, but uh, that's tradition. That's the ones that appear in the paintings, two white guys and a black guy, purely a tradition. Now, here we get really down to the point. They visited the baby Jesus in a stable. Now, we're all familiar with nativity sets. I have a nativity, we have a nativity set in our home. And what does a nativity set have? Mary, Joseph, the baby, the shepherds, (laughs) a few sheep, and the wise men. Notice Matthew 2, 1 says, after Jesus was born. And it says, when they finally arrived in Bethlehem, they went into a house. So it's probably not that the Magi were there on the first night. Now, our our, uh, uh, crutches, as they call them, our Christmas crutches, our nativity scenes, usually have... Uh, have uh, ha- have uh, have the Magi now. My wife and I go back and forth. My wife and I is my wife is a traditionalist. Oh, my wife is very very traditional. Uh, she she really is. And and so her dear mom, my mother in law, actually handmade a nativity set for us ceramic, right? Yeah, ceramic, and uh, there they are. There's the shepherds, and there's uh, the Magi. But my wife knows that I have this thing about the Magi not being at the stable. So when she sets up the nativity set, I wish I'd taken a photo of it. I'd show it. She has Mary and Joseph and the shepherds right there. Then off to the side, she has the Magi. Like, they're still on their way. Uh, They're still on their way. If I come back next week, I want to see this adjusted. All right, good. (laughs) No, I'm not a Christmas Scrooge, all right? I'm not going to get upset about this. But the facts are is that Luke 2 says that the shepherds were there on the first night. And Matthew 2 says after Jesus was born that they did not come into a stable. They did not come into a place where uh, Jesus had to be laid, uh, where the animals were. They came into a house. So it, I don't know how long it, it, it was after Uh, the birth. Now, uh, one more thing uh, to shatter a myth, and this is more of an interpretation of mine, and you can take it or leave it. The first six I want to convince you of. The next one is is my suggestion. Now, there's a star in the story, and it does say star, and the Greek word says star. I'm not going to argue with you about that, but this is a sort of a crazy star, all right? It appears, and then it disappears. What kind of stars is that? It appears and disappears. They, they see it, and, and, and then we saw his star in the east, and they're following the star. And then it comes to Jerusalem, and it makes a left turn, The star, because it turns left and goes five miles down to Bethlehem. Interesting star that does that. If that's a comet, or if that's a nova, or a supernova, they don't usually behave like that. They appear, disappear, they make left turns. And then the star goes over the place where Jesus lay. If a comet did that, there would be no Bethlehem left. Uh, It would go up in smoke. So what's going on here, all right? Uh, uh, Is this a star that beams down its light? Maybe. But let me suggest something else to you. And again, this is my interpretation. You can take it or leave it. Let me suggest that this is a supernatural thing. This is probably the glory of God maybe even the glory of god manifest as a glorious angel. Now don't 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 fire me. Don't don't yet. Just let me stay with it. Notice Luke speaks about the glory of god shown round about them and angels sang that first night. Angels an army of angels sang. Absolutely. But Angels uh, uh, are glory are not mentioned in Matthew 2. I want to suggest to you that this was a supernatural manifestation of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that led these Gentile, I uh, uh, started to say kings, these uh, these Gentile magi And when uh, the time was appropriate, the glory of God, maybe even a glorious angel. That's why I appreciate so much the pastor reading from Isaiah 9, uh, uh, which speaks about the glory of God when that wonderful child is born. So uh, again, so those are some of the myths of the Magi. Uh, Was it an angel? Could have been. I, I typically think it was a glorious angel who appeared to them alone. Now, enough of the mythology. Let's look at the bad dude. There's a really bad dude in this story. One of the reasons I wrote this book is to bring out the dark side of Christmas. Now, again, not because I'm a Christmas Scrooge, I believe in light and I believe in the glories of. Of the Of the Christmas lights, I love that. but Christmas the original Christmas was a dark time. As a matter of fact, that's why uh, uh, part of the reason why we even chose that painting, uh, there's a darkness behind it for the light to shine from from Jesus himself. It's a dark time. I once saw a cartoon of a guy looking over the stable at Mary and Joseph's and said, boy, this is a terrible time for a kid to be born. And I understood that cartoon. It was a terrible time. And I try to bring out in this book, if you do read it, um, there's a dark side to Christmas. But not because I'm a Christmas Scrooge. Because the darker the light, the brighter, uh, the, the darker the darkness, excuse me, the brighter the light. So when we do speak about the glory of God and the light of Christmas, it's because it was very dark. It was ugliness going on. Here's a man, a powerful king, Herod the Great, who in his last days particularly was manic. He was fearful of his throne. He thought that people were plotting to take over his throne. Josephus tells us all of this. And he engaged in punishment of those whom he thought, most of the time just imagined, were out to get his throne. Three years before the events, he executed his twin sons on a baseless charge that they were plotting to kill him to take over his throne. He strangled them, his own sons. Five days before he died, of course, his death is not recorded. Well, his death is recorded later in Matthew 2. Five days before he died, his son Antipater, he executed out of an insane manic fear that his son was out to get his throne. Not only that, he executed his wife. Mariamne, he said, is the only wife he truly loved, and he loved her so much he executed her. You say, what does that mean? Jealousy? He loved her so much that he went off to Rome and came back, and somebody said, "Oh, Mariamne, you know, she was doing something," and out of a out of a rage, this this manic depressive man, he really was. Executed his own wife on no solid grounds that she was an adulteress. This was the man to whom the Magi came and said, Where is he who is king of the Jews? We're going to see. No, but well, we're not going to see, but later on, the darkness of this story is manifested how. This man ordered the execution of all the male children to and under in Bethlehem. There's a darkness in this Christmas story. There's a darkness hovering over this, particularly by the shadow of this wicked man. With understanding his attitude, his fear of his own throne, these magi come and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Do you know what his title was? King of the Jews but it was bestowed on him by the Roman Senate. You are now king of the Jews. So who is the king of the Jews? Me, I'm king of the Jews. Where is he who was born king? What did you say? Born king of the Jews? I was made king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. You're telling me there's somebody who has a right to be the king of the Jews by birth? Oh, I want to meet this king. Tell me where he is, Uh, okay? Uh, You're asking where he was born? I don't know my Bible. Uh, Ask the rabbis. And so they ask the rabbis, and the rabbis say, in Bethlehem. For thus the prophet says, you Bethlehem, Ephrata in the land of Judah, though you be least among the towns of Judah, yet out of you, out of little Bethlehem, will he come forth unto me, who is to be, what, ruler in Israel. Herod's hearing the rabbis read that text, king of the Jews, ruler in Israel. That's me. I'm the king of the Jews. Oh, I want to work. Sure, I want to worship him. Yeah, of course, yeah. You go find him. I'll come and I'll... And I'll kill him just like I've killed the others that were after my throne. So the Magi, uh oh, star appears again. And it comes down, and notice they go into a house. And there they worship the Lord Jesus. It's very interesting about the Magi. Not only were they, uh, you know, where, why the Magi? Well, number one, they're Gentiles. Do I hear an amen? There, you know, there's a Jewish community in Twin uh, Falls. I always call it Twin Valley. I don't know why. Tw- Twin Falls. I, I, I actually surfed the internet, and the internet never lies. It says there's a rabbi, but there's not a synagogue. Okay? Did you know that? Yeah, you know. And they gather together, and they uh, they have Passover together, but there's not a synagogue. So you know, so uh, the Jews you always have with you, <laughs> even in uh, Twin Falls. Well, um, King, where is he who is born king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. But who are these guys, these Gentile guys from Persia, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Why would these Gentile guys be interested in the king of the Jews? I want to suggest something. don't have time to go back to it, but I mention it in the book. Numbers chapter 24 says that Balaam... Said, there's a star and a scepter coming someday. Very interesting. From the unlikely lips of Balaam, a Gentile, there's a prophecy about a star and a what? Scepter. We have, where, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Scepter for we have seen his star in the east. Numbers twenty four seventeen. Balaam, one of the ancestors of the Magi, prophesied about a star and a scepter that would come for Israel someday. And I think these Magi may have treasured that prophecy by that ancestor of theirs. Balaam, the unlikely uh, one who would give a prophecy about a Jewish Messiah, a star and a scepter. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. One more thing about the Magi, and we'll leave them. Off to the side of the stable. Okay, good. Uh, we, we'll leave them. One of the roles of the Magi in ancient Persia could be called king makers. King makers. When there was a new king of Babylon, later a new king of Persia, the magi would participate in a ceremony that would crown the new king. How appropriate that these kingmakers would come to a Jewish land and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? You see, we have some gifts that we normally give to our king But we are king makers, and we want to help install the king of the Jews. So, a fresh look at the Magi. Now, a fresh look at Micah 5.2. The most important thing is the Scripture. And in Matthew 1 and 2, there's about five or six times uh, that Matthew says that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, a virgin shall conceive, Matthew 1. That it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, uh, uh, the women uh, uh, mourning in Bethlehem. That it might be fulfilled over and over and over. And he says that it might be fulfilled, that Micah 5 two might be fulfilled. Notice Bethlehem. We're so familiar with it. You know what it means in Hebrew, Beit lechem, it means house of bread. House of bread. Because, remember the story of Ruth? Uh, She's gleaning in the fields around Bethlehem where they're growing grain to make what? Bread. It's called the house of bread. How appropriate that out of the house of bread would come forth him who would be called the bread of life. Thank you, you know your Bible. Out of the house of bread comes the bread of life. Now, it says, uh, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah. Pastor, would you call the airport and tell them that I'm a little bit, uh, you get to hold the flight? Okay, good, good. Don't worry, I'll finish on time. Okay. Uh, what was I talking about? Bethlehem, right? Yeah, Bethlehem. Bread of life, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I, you know, that was previous, okay, good. Okay, uh, uh, did you know there's more than one Bethlehem? And I'm not talking about Bethlehem, Pennsylvania either. I've been there, all right? This There's two Bethlehems. Joshua 19 actually mentions there's another Bethlehem in the land of Israel. It's up in the land of Galilee. It's still there today. It's called in Arabic, Beit and, Lacham, and they still call it the house of bread. But it's not, it's not the one down in Judah. It's the one up in Galilee. How appropriate. Let me pre- uh, previously say this. I went to school in a uh, town called Greenville. They told me in South Carolina, I don't know if this is true, that there's a Greenville in every state. Is there a Greenville, Idaho? Don't tell me if there's not. But anyway, that's what they said. There's a Greenville in every state. So when you, uh, you know, send a, uh, you know, to somebody, you better put the what? Zip code. Better put the zip code for the Greenville that you want, or it might go to Greenville, Pennsylvania, or someplace like that. When God said, this is where my Messiah is going to be born, he gave the address, and he included the zip code. Not Bethlehem, Galilee but Bethlehem in the land of Judah. I want to make sure you know where it is. So here's the zip code. It's down in Ephrata, It's down in Judah. This is the place that was really ugly in the book of Judges. Two men came out of Bethlehem and had ugly things happen to them. And then the third one that came out of Bethlehem had something bad happen to him. He died, his sons died, And poor Naomi is left a widower and bereft of her children. Bethlehem's a sad place. But remember, there's Naomi. She comes to Bethlehem and she meets Boaz. And they live happily ever after. And the book that begins with a sad note and a cloud over Bethlehem ends with with, with Naomi holding that little baby in her arms that baby who would be the grandfather of David. David comes from Bethlehem. And so when Samuel says, I'm going to announce, I'm going to anoint the king of Israel, where did he go? Bethlehem. First six brothers, nope, 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 nope. Well, there's only one more. He's this little ruddy kid that's minding the sheep. Go get him, go get him. And they bring in young David and and he says, he's the one. And he anoints David as the first legitimate king of Israel and Judah in Bethlehem. And David is the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, what? the son of, The son of David, son of Abraham. So this child is a physical descendant of David. All that is the rich Old Testament background. Yet out of you shall become a ruler. I have a great interest in Jewish people. That's why I looked up the less than 50 Jews who live here. uh, uh, I have a great interest in Jewish people. I have a great interest in Israel. been there, and I'm not bragging. I thank the Lord over 50 times to the land of Israel. One of these days I'll get it right. (laughs) i been to Bethlehem many, many times. So I have a great interest in Jewish people. When I was a pastor in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, I was invited to speak in a synagogue. Can you believe that? Speak in a synagogue. I had spoken on why we should love Israel to a rotary meeting. And there was a Jewish guy in the Rotary meeting, and he says, I'm going to mention you to my rabbi. I said, oh, yeah. So the next day I get a phone call from the rabbi, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. says, says, will you come and speak to our brotherhood dinner? I said, y- y- yes, I-, I guess so. So I show up, and here we are. It's a brotherhood. It's like they invited Christians from the neighborhood, and they had a brotherhood dinner, and they asked me to speak. And so I spoke on what Jews need to know Uh, about truth, what Christians need to know about truth, and what we both need to know about truth. Okay, I'll never forget, I was sitting at the head table and the rabbi was sitting beside me. And you know, uh, 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 religious Jews wear yarmulkes, they're called, you know, head coverings. And so out of respect to them, I put on a yarmulke when I got up to speak. And as I'm speaking, the yarmulke kept sliding off. Don't you ask why. It kept sliding off, and I put it back up. And the dear rabbi, bless his heart, he was sitting over here, and, and I looked down, and he pushed a bobby pin over towards me like that. You know. And I said, thank you, rabbi, but I don't think it would work very good. <laughs> but what a, what a great privilege I had. But then afterwards, the rabbi showed great interest in me. He said, the way you quoted the Bible. I wish we had been taught that way. Huh? It's the way we were taught, you know. You know, Rabbi Bear. Rabbi Bear. Anyway, anyway, uh, 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 that's the way we were taught. He, he says, you quote the Bible like that? He says, he says, um, we didn't. Uh, he says, give me one reason why you think Jesus is the Messiah. What would you say? What would you say? One, and, and I want it from the Bible, and I don't want it from your New Testament, he says. He said, I want it from the Bible. What would you say? I said, well, Micah 5 two, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth unto me who will be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth from old, from everlasting. There's a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. There are no Jews in Bethlehem today. Haven't been for 2,000 years. It's a completely Arab town. But in the first century, it was very Jewish. Immediately, he shot back. That's not referring to the Messiah. It's referring to David. Okay, what would you say? What would you say? It's referring to David. Who Was, was David born in Bethlehem? Yes. Is this a prophecy about David? No. Why? I said, Rabbi, it can't be David. He says, what? I said, Micah prophesied 250 years after David. It can't be a prophecy if David was 250 years before him and I thought I was going to get a convert. But the rabbi looked at me, rolled his eyes, and said, well, it must have meant something to people in those days, but now we don't know what it means. You know what it means. It wasn't David. He was a descendant of David. Same town. And that's where the Magi went. Let me conclude, not conclude, but let me read the end of my chapter on Herod. Soon after Messiah's birth and Herod's failure to eliminate him, the sick and miserable old man finally expired in a number of, uh, one of his palaces in Jericho. He was buried following a 15-mile royal procession. In that fortress that I mentioned earlier, named the Herodian, just a couple of miles outside of Bethlehem. The artificial cone shaped hill stands silently today, just a few miles from Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, the soldiers who carried out the murderous crime on the innocent children that's later mentioned in the book, in the chapter, may have been dispatched from this very fortress where I take students and tourists to stand. There's Bethlehem. You can see the towers in Jerusalem. It all comes together. The whole sad story comes alive as one stands on the top of this imposing fortress. Today one can only imagine its once glorious beauty. Now it's an empty shell recovered by the archaeologists who only recently have been able to find Herod's exact burial place at the Herodian. Not surprisingly, his tomb and the royal sarcophagus has been shattered into pieces, probably by later zealots who also hated him. Herod's kingdom is no more, though it was a massive kingdom in the first century. And yeah, and it has no continuing influence. The kingdom of Israel's Messiah, however, continues. He who sought to destroy his rival, quote, king of the Jews, unquote, is gone. The helpless little infant born under the brooding shadow of that fortress is alive and well. The king by might is gone. The king by right lives forever. Can I hear a Baptist amen? Amen. And if you're a Methodist, maybe you can say it too. The king by right is here. I could conclude at that point, but I've got some time before the plane leaves. And I changed my mind this morning. I want to add something else. And I will finish on time. Turn to Luke 2. See, I am going to get to Luke's version of the the nativity. I think I want to conclude with this. Oftentimes we think that Christmas is for kids. And believe me, I love my kids, I love my grandkids, and I enjoy sitting around that tree and seeing those excited little ones. So we often think that Christmas is for kids. But in Luke's account, Christmas is for old people. In Luke chapter 1, we've got the old Zechariah and Elizabeth being told, It's not over yet. (laughs) Oh, really? You're going to have a child. At our age? Yeah, you're going to have a child. And that child is born to this old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. His name, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Messiah who would be born in Luke 2. Now, Luke 2, we don't know. We think Joseph was a bit older than Mary, but Mary's a teenager. Looks like Christmas is for youth. Look at the end of Luke 2, and I want to tell you how this Christmas is also for old people. There was a ceremony that a mother, a new mother, would go through in Jerusalem. It was called her purification. After Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day in Bethlehem, on the fortieth day, she went up to Jerusalem to be purified from uh, the birth in Jewish law, any time uh, blood is involuntarily shed from a, from a uh, body, it makes you ritually unclean and you should be purified. So this is her purification from the blood that she lost in the birth, and it's legislated in, in Leviticus 12. So here we see Mary and Joseph with this uh, 40-day-old Jesus in their arms, and they come to Jerusalem. They have excavated Have you seen these, Bear? They have excavated the ritual pools in the front of the temple on the steps where Mary would have immersed herself. And then they took this little child up into the temple. The stairs are still there. One of my favorite places. And they go up into the temple and they start looking around for a priest because there was a ceremony that should be performed where... You see, the firstborn is holy to the Lord, okay? But to so that child would be taken back from the Lord, there was this ceremony called the redemption of the firstborn son, and it had to be done by a priest. So they, would go, they went up and they were looking around for a priest, and they would hand the child over to the priest, the priest would pray for the child, hand the child back, and they would give him five silver coins. All of that is in Leviticus and Numbers. It's called the redemption of the firstborn son. That would have happened. So they're looking for a priest. But you know what? They don't know that there's a priest looking for them. His name is Simeon. He's an old man. Christmas is for old people. He's an old man. And he comes to the temple every day because the Lord had told him, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. So he checks in. Maybe today, maybe today, then tomorrow, maybe today. No, 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 maybe today. How many days did he come to the temple thinking he's going to see the Lord's Messiah and there's not? And one day he comes in, this old man, and the Lord tips him, taps him on the shoulder and said, There they are, Simeon, right over there. And he sees a couple, and he goes over to them and he says, I'm the priest. And she hands the child over to old Simeon, who probably with trembling hands says basically, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to check out. I've seen the Messiah. And young Mary is standing there, looking there with wide open eyes. Let's look and see what the text says. Luke 2.29, Now, Master, you're releasing your slave in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now watch this. A light for revelation to the what? Gentiles. He's not only for the Jews, he's for the Gentiles. I like this. This Gentile boy from Spartanburg, South Carolina, gets in. Gets into this Jewish thing. I'm very thankful for this. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. And this teenage mother probably was saying, the the angel didn't tell me about the Gentiles. This is for the Gentiles too? This kid that I had, I know he's going to be the Messiah, but he's a light for revelation to all those Gentiles too? Yeah. He's quoting from Isaiah. And his father and mother were marveling at the things. I didn't make that up. They're marveling at the things which were said about it. Simeon blessed them and handed the child back to her, but with this added dark note. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed You're told that your kid is going to be opposed. People are not going to like him. Is this good news for you as a new mother? And then comes the coup de grace. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Imagine this teenage mother being told all these glorious things about this kid. Messiah of Israel, the glory of the, uh, of the people of Israel and the glory of the nations. And you know what, Mary? A sword is going to slice through your soul if this is going to happen. Is there a dark side to Christmas? Yeah. There's a dark side to Christmas. Because the way that this child will become the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world is through a mom standing at a cross looking at the brutalized, bloody body of her son. And I wonder as she's standing before the cross, if those words of Simeon came back to her, a sword will pierce through your soul. Yeah, there's a dark side to Christmas. But out of that darkness comes the light of the world, folks. Because he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. And the light of the world will shine brightly for Jews and Gentiles. Then old Anna comes along. She hears. And she's 84 years old. 84. And she starts speaking to everybody about it. Christmas is for old people. Simeon and Anna celebrate the first christmas with the joy and the pain that is involved in it so when you say merry christmas notice it's merry because it was so dark that those that first night murder mayhem sword piercing th- through a soul it's dark but the darker the night, the brighter the light. Jesus is the light of the world. May He shine into our dark souls. And if there's somebody who came in here whose soul is still dark with sin, you can have the light of light. Light of life. Shining into your soul when you bow before Him as Messiah and Savior. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. All right, Father, thank You for... Jesus, the light of the world. And thank you that this season is for our kiddos and it's for all of us. Thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna who rejoiced in their old age at the birth of this young Jewish Messiah who was a Messiah of Israel. And I thank you, the Savior of the world. In his name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.